Jesus is speaking. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capanium, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your glorious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we long to taste and see that our Savior is gentle and lowly, kind and gracious. And so, Lord, we pray that you would attune our ears to his voice and that you would give us the grace to come to him and to receive all that he has for us. Please help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Several months ago now, I came across the disappearance story of Joseph Crater. Crater was a New York State Supreme Court judge. And in August of 1930, he enjoyed a meal out with friends, got into a taxi, and disappeared. He was never seen or heard from again. Because of his high profile, his case became one of the most famous missing person cases of the 20th century. And the only thing we have from Crater following that meal is a note that was attached to a check for his wife. And the note simply read, 
I am very weary. Love, Joe. And someone said about that, that could have been nothing more than the natural expression of a weary man at the end of a long day. But it also could have been the epitaph of a despairing man. We begin our Advent sermon series this morning called The Wondrous Gift is Given. And on each of the four Sundays in December, we're going to be parachuting into the four Gospels to look at a gift that Jesus Christ gives. And in Matthew's Gospel today, we're going to see that Jesus gives rest. That Jesus gives rest to weary souls. That Jesus gives rest to those who could easily write themselves, I am very weary. Now before we turn to Matthew's gospel and before we look at those words, there's one clarification that I have to make. The, the gifts that Jesus gives are not like the gifts that children rush downstairs to open on Christmas morning. The, the new bike, the, the football kit, the, the, the toys that they're currently losing sleep over due to excitement are really, at the end of the day, nice-to-haves. They're, they're add-ons to their lives. But Jesus' gifts change our lives. They meet needs that are so profound that once we have them, we can never be the same again. We don't add them onto our lives. They change our lives from the inside out. Now the weary that Jesus had in mind in Matthew chapter 11 were probably those uh, Jews who were under the crushing yoke of the Pharisees. You remember the Pharisees had taken the law of God, added to the law of God, expanded the law of God, teased it out, drawn it out, so that even the most basic daily tasks had become an unbearable chore. One wrong move and they would accuse you. And condemn you. And maybe you know what that's like. You were raised in the church. So you know what you should be doing. But you're not doing those things. Or when you are doing those things. You feel like you're always doing them wrong. Because there's a Pharisee who lives inside of you. And like Crater. You are very weary. Others of you aren't wearied by an impossible standard. You are weary because in your past you threw out most standards. You bought the lie that there is no God. And that there are no objective moral standards. And so you just threw yourself into sin. But now your sin has found you out. And now your conscience is accusing you. So that like Crater... You are very weary. And then others of you are wearied by that craving for approval. Do you remember when we were all locked down a couple of years ago? We listened to a a series of messages by that Welsh pastor, uh, Ian Parry. And Ian Parry mentioned that in Genesis chapter 1, as God created all things, he said, it is good. But then when he created man and woman, male and female, he declared 
very good. So that baked into all of us is a craving to have very good spoken over our lives. But, but now that we're born alienated from God and cut off from God, we look for that very good in an infinite number of other places. It has to be why social media is so popular and so dangerous. We crave very good to be spoken over us. And so we distort ourselves online. And we get likes, but it's not really we who are getting the likes. It's the fake version of ourselves. So that like Crater, we are very weary. Well, I have good news for all of us today. Jesus gives rest. Jesus gives rest to weary hearts. And so I want us to see first today the invitation to the weary. Look at verse 28 of Matthew 11. Let me read it to us again. Come to me. All who, are heavy la- all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus' invitation is threefold. Come to me. Take from me. Learn from me. To the weary soul, Jesus says, come to me. How? Since Jesus is now in heaven and not physically present on earth. Well, here's Jesus' answer by believing. Because according to Jesus, coming to him and believing on him are one and the same experience. In John chapter 6, he said this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Coming to Jesus and believing on Jesus are interchangeable phrases. And so to failures, Jesus says, come to me. To rebels, Jesus says, come to me. To the insecure, Jesus says, come to me. But then he says, take from me. Take my yoke upon you. Now, perhaps to those of you who know what a yoke is, your hope of rest just evaporated in a split second because a yoke is a wooden instrument that was put over the necks and the shoulders of animals to ensure that they could plow a field in tandem. Jesus, if you want us to rest, why not say, take my chair from me and sit down? Why not take my bed from me and lay down? Because the point is this, when you're yoked to Jesus by faith, his labor refreshes us. He's the most gentle 
and lowly one to be yoked to. And he empowers us to do what we could never do by ourselves. And his labor is good for us and for those around us. He enables us to labor at loving our enemies. At forgiving those who trespass against us. He enables us to give without hoping to receive anything in return. And the result is rest for the weary soul. Come to me. Take from me. And then lastly, learn from me. Learn from me, Jesus says, the things that make for peace. Heed my voice. Hear me out. Because by tuning your ears to my voice, I will teach you the things that make for peace in the weariest of souls. And when we do, Jesus calls us to labor that is good for us and creates rest within us. Saturday is is my day off. But uh, a few months ago, I had to pop into the study very quickly just to finish something off. And when I opened the study door, the phone was ringing. So I answered the phone and the, the voice on the other end said, oh, hi, is that, is that Pastor Hugh? And I was like, yeah, you can just call me Hugh though. All right, let this be a warning to all of you. Don't call me on Saturdays or you might end up in one of my sermons, okay? And, and the man said, yeah, I, I'm looking for a church And so I want to ask you a few questions about what you believe. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, of of course it's okay. And he said, what do you think about once saved, always saved? And I said to him, well, as a a happy five-point Calvinist, I, I believe in it. But I'd prefer to call it the perseverance of the saints. Because once saved, always saved sometimes gives people the impression that if you just breathe the prayer at some point in your life the rest of your life really doesn't matter but the bible teaches that the evidence of saving faith is that you go on with god and that you grow in godliness and so he said to me ah so you believe that we're saved by works then and i said no i i I don't i believe that we're saved apart from works but i believe that we are saved for works and he said you're just preaching work salvation and sadly that was the end of that conversation. But do you see how our friend thought work is bad? Work is in the Christian life a dirty word. It's a it's a swear word, but no Jesus says, yoke yourself to me by faith and I will lead you into labor that refreshes you and those around you. And when you're tired, I will pick up the slack. And my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. My commandments aren't burdensome. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now perhaps you're here today and you would say, yes, you amen to all of this. I am a Christian, but I am exhausted. Where's my rest? And if that's you here today, I want to ask you a question that I've been asking myself most of this week. Could that be because you are trying to plow more than one field? 
yet you're, you're yoked to Jesus and you're, you're laboring in his field where there is soul refreshing work for you, but at the same time, you're trying to plow fields that Jesus hasn't even called you to labor in. So there's the, there's the field of your reputation. And you're, you're laboring to uphold your reputation, to expand your reputation. But Jesus hasn't called you to labor for your reputation. Or, or there's the, the field of success and constantly moving up the ladder, social mobility. But Jesus has never called you to labor for your success. There's the labor of comfort and security and saving up years worth of savings. But Jesus hasn't called you to labor for comfort or for security or for years worth of savings. He's called you to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all that you need will be added to you in time. And if I'm talking to you, is there any wonder you're weary today when you are yoked to Jesus and five other masters? You're plowing the harvest field of the kingdom, and then 15 other fields that Jesus never called you to in the first place. Friend, yoke yourself to one master alone. There's only one person that can give you rest. There's only one field that has soul-refreshing work for you, and he will help you when you feel like you can't go on. He will strengthen you when you feel weak. He'll uphold you when you're falling down. He will restore you when you've made a pig's ear of your entire life. How many fields do you need to get out of today? How many masters do you need to unyoke yourself from today? And come back to the only master who has rest for you. The only master that can refresh you. The only one that can restore your soul. Others of you are here today and you're, you're not yet believers and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Hugh, so what you're saying then is if I just do the things that Jesus tells me to do, then I'll have rest. If I love my enemies, if I forgive those who sin against me, if I give hoping to receive nothing in return, then I'll have rest. Is that what you're saying? Friend, that is not what I'm saying. Because what I'm saying to you is, Yoke yourself to Jesus first. Don't take his yoke upon you until he has taken your burden from you. Because if you labor and if you take Jesus' yoke upon you, having never received his forgiveness into you, that will be nothing more than a recipe for burnout and exhaustion. Again, friend, before you take his yoke upon you, Have him take your burden from you. Come to Jesus first. You do that right where you are. Simply saying, Lord, I believe that you love me and you gave yourself for me. I believe that your life and your death and your resurrection was for me, enough for me, more than sufficient for me. And I yoke myself now to you, to come to you just as the children came up at the front, to receive what only you can give. And once you've done that, friend, 
You labor with him until you see him face to face. And the temporary rest we get in the present is the eternal rest in which we live throughout heaven. So we've seen the invitation to the weary, but second I want us to see the inviter of the weary. Look at verse 29. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So who is the one who invites us to rest? Who, who is this one who invites us to take and to learn from him? Well, one who is gentle and lowly. And if Jesus hadn't opened his heart for us, in this moment and told us who he really is, we wouldn't know whether we want to come to him. We wouldn't know whether we want to take from him and learn from him because we wouldn't know what he's like. And we wouldn't know whether we could trust him or do anything with him at all. Do you see how the invitation to come, take and learn is only a good invitation if the one who makes it himself is good? And is gentle and is lowly. I know many of you have been really helped by uh, Dane Ortland's short book, Gentle and Lowly. I've been really helped by it too. And this is what he said. He said, if Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the About Me drop down would read, Gentle and Lowly in Heart. And then A bit later, he says this. He says, lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts toward others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentle himself toward his own any more than you or I can change our eye color. It's who we are. But that's not who we assume Jesus is, is it? Because we assume if Jesus is God-made man, if he is the potentate of time wearing a human suit, then he must be stern and hard. We naturally think of Jesus touching us, Ortland writes, the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time, face screwed up, cautiously extending an arm, giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. But you see how Jesus is giving us his word here. I am gentle and lowly. You remember when that leper broke all of the rules? Lepers were subject to a lifelong quarantine, but somehow this leper broke out and he came all the way to Jesus. If you will, he said. You can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. What about the time when Simon Peter saw a miraculous catch of fish 
Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. The only kind of sinner to whom Jesus is stern is the kind of sinner who says, I'm not coming to you because I don't need you. To those sinners, Jesus says, woe to you. Just as he did to all the towns in which his mighty works were performed, the same towns who rejected him and said, get out of here, Jesus. You're not welcome here. We don't need you here, Jesus. Thank you very much. But friend of sinners was an insult that they leveled at Jesus' head. But now it's a crown that Jesus loves to wear. Because to the sinners who will come, Jesus says, welcome. Come to me. Take, learn. And so to those of you who are believers but are convicted today, maybe you've been laboring in all of those harvest fields, you've given so little time to the labor that Jesus calls you to. And today you're feeling guilty, guilt-rodden, convicted of sin. Jesus says, come to me again. I am still gentle. I am still lowly in heart. You will still find rest for your soul because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden that you received when you first believed is the one that I have for you right now. You come to me. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I'm going to hand the microphone over just one more time to Dane Ortland in that great book. He says, a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He's correctly diagnosed the problem and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy, has no need of any kind of financial compensation, but as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. How much more if the diseased are not strangers, but his own family? So with us, Ortland writes, and so with Christ. He does not get flustered 
and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. If you are part of Christ's own body, your sins evoke his deepest heart, his compassion and pity. So, Christian, take Jesus at his word again and come to him anew. Unbeliever, come for the first time. Fall into his open arms, nailed wide at the cross for you, and find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Friend, you don't need to worry about not knowing what Jesus looks like before you can come to him. You don't need to worry about what Jesus' voice sounds like before you can come to him. You only need to worry about what Jesus is like before you can come to him. And he is telling you, I am gentle and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. If then the gentle one, if then the lowly one says, come to me, Go to him. If he says, take from me, then take from him. If he says, learn from me, then learn from him. And sit at his feet and choose the better portion. Friend, what could be more gentle than a baby? And what could be more lowly than a birth in a manger? Well, the heart that moved Jesus to become a baby such as that is the heart that he has today as he says, come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. Amen. 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 Well, we're gonna we're gonna sing a wonderful new hymn about that rest, about coming to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind.